First uh, John, first chapter. Now I've titled this particular section as we get ready to look at First John uh, five, First John chapter one five through ten. This very first part I've call, I've t- entitled "Stay the Course," and that's what we need to do. We need to stay the course. Um, we need to stay the course, and when we understand what it is to fellowship with a God who is light. Um, and that in him is no darkness at all, as John tells us here in verse 5 of chapter 1. Especially as what they call light, which is actually darkness that's encroaching all around us today. Uh, we need to purpose our hearts that we remain in his light, to stay the course, if you will. And if you remember last week, I said that our fellowship with God is based upon the holy character of God. Uh, and not upon the, the uh, perverse view of God that's being presented by a lot of these folks who are unstable or unlearned, uh, that have created for themselves their own little God. And so we need to be very, very careful of their influence. Um, we also learned that the joy of our fellowship with the Father is the fruit of our conformity into the image of Jesus Christ. The more like, and it just makes sense, doesn't it? The more Christ-like that we are, naturally the closer our fellowship with the Lord will be, and the more our joy will be fulfilled. So that's, that's just a, a given. And also, uh, we understand that God, from the first John, he's light, he's righteousness and love. And as long as we abide in the word, empowered by the anointing of the spirit that he, is, that he has given us, uh, that we strive and purpose to practice these qualities in our life, uh, then um, we will come to understand what it is to have joy of fellowship that John talks about. But what I want to do is I want to continue on and uh, on your study guide, if you see the silhouette of the man walking with his son, that's where we're at. Okay? And uh, Amos 3.3 says, uh, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Of course, this verse is from the book of Amos. Amos is an Old Testament prophet. He was a contemporary of Hosea. Uh, he was uh, also a minister during the reigns of Uzziah and Jeroboam. And if you know anything you know, about that period of time, that was a very, very dark time in, in the nation's history. The ten northern tribes were well on their way into apostasy, well on their way into being judged by God, by Assyria coming and just taking them away into exile. They were well, well on their way. They were sinking deeper and deeper into, into moral decline and spiritual darkness. And that's what Hosea is all about. Um, of course, this question, uh, can two walk together except they be agreed? That's a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is, you know, no. If they're not in agreement, they, they can't walk together. Right? That's, that's the negative side. And that's what's, that's what was going on with the ten northern tribes. I mean, they had essentially walked away from God. Uh, they had nothing but wicked kings. If you read through that part of history, uh, they had one wicked king after another. I mean, just one wicked king after another. Now, Judah, on the other hand, they were more or less holding their own against idolatry, but they were vacillating, uh, vacillating, vacillating, 
and they would soon also follow the way of the ten tribes. They also would end up falling into apostasy, falling into rebellion, falling into idolatry, and then they would end up in Babylonian captivity. So the theme of the book of Amos is is the righteousness of God. And... um, the behavior and the spiritual attitudes of the people of that day was actually profaning the name of God and uh, bringing disgrace upon the name of God. And that's what was going on. It was a anything-goes society. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Anything-goes society. And that's the negative aspect of it. But we also, there's also a positive side, right? And the positive side is, yeah, if, if, if we agree, then we can walk together. If we, if we agree with God, then we are going to walk with God. We can walk in agreement. It is possible. And this is the wonderful truth. It is possible to walk in agreement with God. It is possible. In spite of what other people try to tell you. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And then he says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What was that? That's 2 Timothy 2.19. So as children of the light... Uh, God's light, living in the midst of a darkened world that lieth in wickedness, we have the Word of God, and we have the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Truth, according to First, according to First John. We have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, and if we name the name of Christ, what is it that we are told to do? Depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. Hold fast to the truth. That's why I titled this first part, as we get ready to look at verses 6 through 10, we have to stay the course. We have to purpose in our heart to stay the course. I like what this one guy once said. He said, we either grace the grace that saved us, or we disgrace the grace that saved us. I thought that's pretty good. We either grace the grace that saved us, or we disgrace the grace that saved us. And we do not want to disgrace the grace that saved us. We just don't want to do that. We just don't want to do that. So on your study guide, for two to walk together in the most beneficial way, is that they too must be one in mind and heart and goals and direction and anything else that would unite them together in one spirit. Israel and Judah should serve as a warning to us. That's that's why, you know, we have the Old Testament. I'm going to get on a soapbox. There are people out there telling you to ignore the Old Testament, that we don't need the Old Testament, don't pay it. That's a lie straight out of the pit, folks. It's all the Word of God. Old and new. From Genesis to the Book of Concordance. I'm just kidding on the last part. Right? It's all the Word of God. The whole counsel of God. 
The ignorant and the unbeliever and the carnal believer, they're, you know, they're often under the misunderstanding that God shows partiality to his people. Even, even to the denying of his holy character, that he winks at the sin of his people and then, and somehow he overlooks the blatant transgressions that often pass as Christianity today, that he somehow overlooks it. He's such a loving God, such a grace, you know, such a God of grace. And people who live in this gross sin still claim that they're in fellowship with God. Yeah, they're in fellowship with their God, but not in the God, not with the God of the Bible. Not with the God of the Bible. You know, we may be a privileged people, but this will not excuse us from chastisement. It just won't. He loves us too much to let us continue in our error. Okay? On your study guide, for there to be any benefit in this journey together, right? Uh, those who walk together, the father and the we that John is talking about, must be unified in the important issues of life, the direction that is to be taken, and the commitment to stay the course together that makes fellowship with each other a joy as they travel on their way. So important issues, direction, and commitment. You have to be in agreement with God if you want to be in fellowship with God. That, that is just as simple as it is. The issues that are important to God, and not so much the issues that are important to us. That's what we need to focus on. We need to keep our eyes open and see the direction that God's moving. Instead of doing like what so many like to do, they like to march to the beat of their own drum. There's a lot of those out there. We need to seek His glory rather than our own glory. We have too many glory seekers running around. We need a purpose in our heart to be committed. Committed to the Lord, committed to His Word. Because you know what? In this time that we're living in, there are so many people that lack that very thing. Commitment to the truth. Faithfulness to what the Lord tells us that we should do and how we should live. It's an, it's an open society, not only out there in, you know, the secular society, but open your eyes. It's the same thing within the church. It's an anything goes mentality in the church. As long as it's got the Christian label stamped on it, it must be good. It must be okay. So on your study guide, it is by this walking in agreement with God, who is light and righteousness and love that will bring benefit and joy in our walk with God. It's as simple as that. It really is as simple as that. Now, to walk in agreement with God, is that always popular? Is that always the easy way to go? 
And that's why a lot of people bail out. It's because it's not popular. They buckle under peer pressure. Dr. So-and-so says this, so hmm, that must be the way it is. And it's not an easy way to go. It's not. I mean, even there's even times even your family and friends will think um, you, you're off your rocker. <laughs> and your co-workers, they may not want to sit with you at break time. But what's really important here? Right? That's a decision we all have to make. That is, that's a decision we all have to make. On your study guide, one's life manifesting these attributes of God due to our being, is the word our being in fellowship with God, is the only pathway to life and joy in Christ. I messed you up. Our being in fellowship pathway. God is the pathway to our joy. Okay, so that might be the way it's worded on your worksheet. Now, I've said the same thing four different ways. Haven't I? I'm sorry, what was the last one? Uh, on my worksheet, I have one's life manifesting these attributes of God due to our being in fellowship with God is the only pathway to life and joy in Christ. Now, I may have messed that up on your guy's study guide. Okay. Well, then put in Christ. <laughs> like I said, I've said the same thing four different ways, but John says it this way. 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. To me, that's the theme verse of 1 John. To me, that's the theme verse of 1 John. Now, who is it he's talking about um, walk even as he walked? Who is the he walked? Who is that person? Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. If, if you walk with the Father as Jesus Christ walked with the Father, guess what? You're going to have joy of fellowship. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus promised. That's what 1 John is promising us. To walk as Christ walked is to know fellowship with the Father. And it is as profoundly simple as that. Is it easy? Does it cost? Yes. But it is as profoundly simple as that. To be of the same heart, the same mind, to be in agreement with the one that you want to walk with. I mean, stop and think about some of the men in the Bible that we look to. Yeah, they had their issues, they had their problems, but you know, Jacob vowed a vow. Genesis twenty-eight twenty, and boy, he had his issues, but he purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel one eight. Paul determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, right? What did Joshua say? As far as me and my house, we shall serve the Lord, right? Jesus in Luke 9.51 steadfastly set His face to go up to Jerusalem. 
It's a decision we each individually must make. And if we each individually make that decision, it will be a blessing to the church as a whole. That's how, that's how a church thrives. When the individual members of the church are thriving in their fellowship with God, then the whole church will thrive. But we're too busy snipping and snapping at one another, carrying on like immature children. Um... In the the perfecting work of God, uh, concerning those who desire to be in fellowship with God, you know what God does? I mean, if you're really serious about this, God purges the will in order to bring it into union with His will. But God never breaks the will. God never forces the will. Now understand that. He purges the will, but he never forces or breaks the will. God had given Adam and Eve all the blessings and all the benefits that would come from walking in obedience with him. Did God force Adam and Eve to do that? No. God knew that the conversation that Eve was going to have with the serpent, but did he intervene? Did he step in? No, he did not. I find that amazing. I find that amazing. You see, God desires that we obey from a willing heart motivated by love for him. He's not going to force you to do anything, folks. You have to choose to do it. That's what he wants. That's what he's looking for. Willing hearts. That's where the problem lies. We have unwilling hearts. Or the cost is too great. Or, hmm, I don't know about that. (laughs) I've been there, done that. I still am. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So on your study guide... What we often see in the churches today is not so much agreement with God, but a coming to some sort of consensus with the expectation that it is God who must compromise rather than men. Instead of the attitude of the one that prayed in the garden, not my will but thine be done, It's, uh, you know what, God, I'll do your will as long as it doesn't conflict with mine or doesn't cost me too much or it doesn't put me, you know, out too much. Then then I'll consider it. The issue with many today, and this is on your study guide, is that they are under the, here's a big word, erroneous assumption. That'd make the name of a good rock group, wouldn't it? Erroneous assumption that God is to keep pace with them. When the truth of the matter is for us, in order to remain in fellowship with God, are the ones to, here's your blank, keep pace with Him. 
God's not to keep pace with me. I'm to keep pace with God. If God's going that direction, then that's the direction I go. I don't grab a hold of his hand and force him to go my way. And yet a lot of people sure try to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Genesis 5.24, and Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. See, God was so pleased with the company of Enoch that he says, Hey, Enoch, just keep on coming with me. And he walked with God right into glory. Walked with God right into glory. You know, um, it's taught that Enoch is a type of the church. That prior to the judgment upon the earth, Noah's flood, God raptured or took Enoch away. Took Enoch away to be with him. And I see that picture. I see that type. And I teach it that way. But here's what I wonder. Um, When the rapture happens, how many will really go? When the rapture does happen, how many will really go, especially in the church age in which we live in. What what does the Lord say about this church age? I would rather spew thee out of my mouth. It may come as an unexpected surprise for many who have trusted in the wrong gospel. And there's a lot of different gospels out there, folks. A lot of different gospels out there. They go through the emotions and emotions of religion, but uh, if 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 there's the absence of that true being born again, and in regards to those who are born again, why are you choosing to live a life contrary to what God clearly reveals that you should be walking? And we all do it. We all do it. We all do it. And Second John verse 8, he says, Look to yourselves, lest we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. We won't lose our salvation, we won't be left behind, but what we are risking is a full reward. A full reward. Now, I'm not preaching a, a, a works-based salvation. That's not what I'm preaching. We are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. But what is at issue? And I think something that I know myself, sometimes I don't really consider serious enough, is the true value of what I have in my fellowship with the Father. And how willingly I surrender that fellowship for something that is not of any value at all. And I find myself in the place of an Esau (laughs) willing to give up my inheritance for a bowl of porridge. Or like a Lot who vexed his soul and yet lived in the world. And what happened with Lot? He lost everything. He lost everything. I don't want to be that type of 
Christian? I don't. 1 Corinthians 3, 14-15 says, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I don't know about you folks, and I'm not, the, I'm not a super saint. I'm not the greatest saint that ever walked the earth. But one thing's for sure, I do not want to stand before my Lord and have absolutely nothing to show for it. I don't want to be that one. But yet, this is exactly what the false teachers are proffering today. And so many Christians are swallowing their... Okay, be careful, Jeff. Swill. I almost said something else. The revisionists and the Gnostics who preach the message of seeking your best life now with that big cheesy grin... That God's will is not for you to be poor, but wealthy in worldly goods. Teaching their people to seek the things of the world and all the while duping folks and believing that in doing so they're actually in the will of God. Now you know that's true. These types will preach that the kingdom is here and now and that we have kingdom authority to lay claim upon those things. That we now have that kingdom authority to to rule in this life. Has anybody ever heard that? Has anybody heard it in the contemporary Christian music? Pay attention, people. It's so subtle. Pay attention. I've said this so often. One of the main issues with the Laodicean church period is they lack discernment. We're not paying attention. So on your study guide, it is a kingdom issue. It is a kingdom issue. Dr. Cindy Trim... She is a, excuse me, she is a Christian self-empowerment specialist and transformational leader. Yeah. Pretty impressive title. Listen carefully to what she says, what she teaches, and what people are sucking down. I, I need to stop using phrases like that, I guess. She said this. I establish divine parameters, boundaries, and borders. And I legislate and establish laws of the kingdom of heaven to govern all activities within. That's what's being taught, and that's what's being received. So on your study guide... A popular teaching among these false teachers, your word of faith, the vineyard movements, IHOP up here. Most of these charismatic, yeah, I know, I'm calling out names. Most of your charismatic and Pentecostal denominations 
And I'm going to give you several of these titles. It's been called either the Latter Rain Movement, Latter Rain Movement, or the Kingdom Now Theology, or uh, another one is Dominion Theology. Yeah. So you got Latter Rain Movement, Kingdom Now Theology, Dominion Theology. There's a, there's a lot of. There you go. There's all sorts out there. You guys are on top of it. Um, it used to be you used to see a crown in the back of a car, a little tiny plastic crown, or people wearing little crown pins. Or you might hear some of the folks speak of possessing kingdom authority over this and kingdom authority over that. You know, I, I have, uh, I pronounce kingdom authority over this. It used to be very big. It still might be. So on your study guide, this teaching says that Christians can experience the fullness of the kingdom now, which includes total freedom from sickness, not partial freedom, Total freedom from sickness, performance of miracles, prosperity and wealth, communion with angels. I've talked to you about that. And even God-like authority and power. And if one does not experience these things, then, they, then that individual simply doesn't have enough faith. We were watching a, a fellow on television just a little while ago, and he was this, he's a very popular oriental preacher, but he was preaching that anyone who doesn't believe in this doctrine is a heretic. Raise your hand if you're a heretic. Yeah. Hey Jeff, what was the last blank on that? Godlike. No, no, on the other one. Which other one? <laughs> After the Kingdom Now Theology or something. Dominion. Dominion. Yeah. Question, yes, ma'am. So I've heard this in somewhat Baptist circles, <laughs> just to clarify. But, and I don't know exactly, I don't read this anywhere in the Bible, but maybe you can straighten me out. Like, and it kind of, to me, it kind of falls under the word of faith stuff, but like I've heard that, you know, you shouldn't say like that you're struggling with something or you're scared of something out loud because the devil can hear it and then he'll use that against you, you know. That just seems a little mystical to me, but, you know, I heard, you know, a pastor's wife say, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, um. The devil's going to use anything against you anyway. So whether you verbalize it or not, I mean, you're, st- you're still under his attack. And the, the devil's been around for a long, long time. And he pretty much knows how we work, how we tick. So I don't think that should be of any kind of... It's, you're not going to keep anything from him. He's, he's very sharp. He can pick up what's going on. I mean, we've got human beings that can read people's body language and, and pick up what's going on. Very So you think the devil is not that sharp? Yeah, so as far as that's concerned, I, I wouldn't concern that. I just thought it was strange at the time. I never ran across that. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. And as far as verbalizing it, you know, um, 
Uh, you ought to come to my house. I verbalize that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> so there's not there's nothing sinful in verbalizing it as long as you verbalize it heavenward. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'll often say to Diane, hey, Diane, this is what's going on in my heart. Will you please pray for me on this matter? And I'll just be right, frank, open and honest with my wife about what's really going on in my heart. And I'm not afraid of the devil hearing that and using that because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know, let the devil hear it all he wants. I've got a father in heaven who's who overrules the devil all the time. So I'm not too concerned about that. So does that help? Okay. Uh, so, um, all right, I covered all that. So, again, as what you just said, in fact, that's my next point. This heresy has even infiltrated Bible-believing congregations. It has. Uh, they put some people on a guilt trip. You know, they get other people kind of nervous and, and, and fearful. You know, that's what I'm that's That's the whole reason I've been going through all of this, folks. Because we live in this age where what appears to be spiritual is not always biblical. And the Laodicean church has lost its discernment because why? It's rejected this. It's accepted another truth, another light. Yes, ma'am. Have you heard those like prophets that they have now, those people that prophesy? I'm going to cover that too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who suffered with anxiety and God pulled me out of that, I think negative, I think what we, it, it affects our mind though, how we talk and think. You know, oh, definitely. The negativity. Yeah, definitely. God had to totally change the way that I think. Again, that's purging. That's a that's a process. And how is that purging or that washing takes place? You get into the Word of God, and you stop listening to those lies that you tell yourself or somebody else is telling you, and you hold to the Word of God. You hold to the truth. This is what you believe, in spite of what everybody else or what your own mind is telling you. I know I know what you're saying because I have that battle all the time with myself. I battle that all the time. And I've never made that a secret with you folks. But I battle that all the time with myself. Now, sometimes myself wins. But sometimes myself smartens up and says, no, that's not, that's not where the victory lies. The victory lies right here. And that's where I go to. Yeah. 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 All right, should I sit down so you guys can... <laughs> No, that's good. I'm glad you guys are picking up on this. Well, as we talk about people being uh, afraid of work or co-workers and all that kind of stuff to speak truth, but once God has pulled you out of the pit, you know, you know he's the one who's saying that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. He's the one I've got And let me say this. Once you do make a stand for Jesus... You know, then they know where you come from, and that gives you a boldness. Because we have not been given the spirit of fear, right? So once you make that stand for Jesus, you know, that gives you a boldness, and then they know where you stand, and the game changes. I don't know how many times I've experienced that, but the game changes. Yes, sir. Confess your faults one to another, or Jesus verbalized, then how can you 
do that. And when you don't, that means when you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're sharing the lie you're trying to believe. Oh, man. Uh, uh, okay, Mark, stop there because you're getting ready to preach verses 6 through 10. <laughs> but that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. All right, so where am I? I was really hoping to get this lesson done. <laughs> That's cool. All right, so here's another doctor. And it's funny to me how all these guys and gals are doctors. Check doctors out in the Bible. Here's another doctor, a doctor by the, uh, by the name of Bill Winston. This is what he teaches. He says, he says, Jesus did not come to the earth to fix the broken system of the world. He came to replace the system with the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Now, there is some truth in that. But when is Jesus going to do that? Second coming. Do you see how subtle they are? Do you see how subtle they are? These kingdom theologies and kingdom now doctrines, that is so far removed from what is biblical. But yet it causes so much confusion, so much division within the church. That's exactly what the enemy wants. That's exactly what the He does not want a united church. He wants a divided church. The... Um, Erroneous understanding of the kingdom now uh, proponents, they distract the church from its primary mission. And the same mission that the Lord was on. You know, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what we're all about, folks. We're not kings to reign. We are laborers in the field trying to reap a harvest. That's what we're all about. There's some issues um, on your study guide. Uh, such teachings diminish the need for Jesus to return, is your blank. After all, if the fully realized kingdom of God is now in effect for Christians today, then why in the world does Jesus need to come back? Or here's the other side of that. If we set about to establish the kingdom so that Jesus can come back. You know, there's a fancy word that's called, what is it, amillennialism. That we usher in the kingdom. That's what's being preached, folks. That's what's being preached. Thank you. Exactly. Yep, exactly. That's what that's what your uh, preachers are leaving the uh, colleges and seminars with. Uh, so where does the real power reside? Uh, so on your study guide, kingdom now theology makes God dependent on man and his faith. In order for God to accomplish His will, man must have faith and claim the promises. Usually taken out of context, claim the promises meant for Israel and claim them for the church. And boy, do we see a lot of that going on today here's another doctor wait a minute I I need to step back here Uh, on your study guide so did you get the God dependent thing okay here's the next one many kingdom teachers teach that you 
The believer have the authority and power over your own life and destiny. And we hear that all the time, both secular and religious. And it is by the power of your faith, by using God's word as a means to this end, that you can have your best life now. Now, folks, I don't use God's word. I trust in it and I obey it. But I don't use it. I don't use it. (laughs) Yeah. So let me quote another doctor. This is a Dr. Miles Monroe. He's one of these... Well, anyway... Uh, when he says this, when Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, he brought also the promise of restoring to mankind the dominion over the earth that Adam and Eve had in in the garden. We kind of see that in the what, what is the what's the word of it? Brian talks about it all the time. Ecology, environment movement. Isn't that what we're trying? Isn't that what the environmentalists are trying to do? They claim that they have the ability to, you know, structure the atmosphere, global. You know, they claim they have the ability over. No, they don't have the ability over creation. The Gnostics teach that God lost control of the earth when Adam and Eve sinned. That's what they teach. And uh, these folks who believe in this kingdom now doctrine, they teach that uh, um, that God um, is now looking for a covenant people that will take back control of the earth from Satan. And in some circles, revival isn't so much to win lost souls or revitalize a, a lethargic church, but it's to take over the society for the kingdom of God. And this will be accomplished uh, by the power of their faith and by following last day apostles and prophets. So that's, you know, these prophets and these apostles that are popping up. That's who our authority is to be. Not what God's word says. They claim that the church will become triumphant and regain dominion over the kingdoms of this world, including the kingdoms of sickness, disease, and financial problems. And as I mentioned before, we hear this in our contemporary Christian music. You'll hear things like, the kingdom is now, or we are the kingdom... In some of this Christian music, it's got a nice melody, a catchy tune, but rotten doctrine. So on your study guide, oh, I was hoping to get done. Those who embrace this teaching are looking forward to as God's covenant people taking control of the government, education, science, and every other aspect of society in the world. They believe this will be achieved as believers use the miraculous gifts of the Spirit by their God-like authority, being sons of God and establishing the kingdom before the return of Christ. That's our millennialism. Uh, Dominion theology is also known as Christian Reconstructionism. Reconstructionism. 
It states that biblical Christianity will rule all areas of society, personal, corporate, the whole ball of wax. What's the second one? The spirit of their... They believe this will be achieved as believers use the miraculous... Gifts and God-like authority. God-like authority. Big G or little G? Little G, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, Christian Reconstructionism—they—they—they they, they, uh, teach that that society will be reconstructed by the law of God as preached in the Gospel and the Great Commission. Okay. Sounds spiritual. Sounds spiritual. And this is why the church, especially young, the, among the younger generation, is looked at as a militant church. A militant, it's oppressive. They look at the church as being oppressive, threatening, imposing its will over others. I mean, if you pay attention to what the young people are saying, this is what they're saying about the church in general. You know, I've heard some some young people say uh, it's my country, not the church's country. So you see the the thinking of, of these young people, and they look at the church as a threat. They look at the church as a threat, and you, you, I know you've heard the term. There's even some that bannered around the term of Christian nationalism, right? Christian nationalism. So the church today is looked at as a threat to people's rights. Pay attention to what the woke society is saying, folks, because they're targeting the church as a threat to democracy. They look at the church as a threat. I read an article written by a Ph.D. in comparative religions, a man by the name of James Zogby. And uh, the the title is, uh, The Abuse of Religion to Foster Extremism is a Universal Phenomenon. And he put this article in what was called a fellowship magazine, which is a, which is an interfaith magazine, uh, written back this year, January 2023. And he state the case is, he states that religion is often the cause of violence in the world more so than enhancing peace. So this is what he says. He says, uh, the bottom line is that discernment is in order. Faith is central to the understanding of religion. Now listen carefully. By definition, faith is different from certainty. It implies a belief in what is unknown. Listen carefully. This is radically different from political ideology, which is always certain. Listen to what they are saying. He says, when religious language is used to validate political ideologies, the mix becomes a lethal brew. Religion is no longer belief, it is abused. This is why Christianity is often viewed as a threat in certain cultures, and yes, even viewed as a threat in in this nation of ours that was founded upon Christian values. So in effect, what's being promoted among religion and non-religious peoples is that political ideology is always certain, while faith or religion is radically different from certainty. 
This is on your study guide. Be wary, folks. This may be nothing more than the harlot preparing her place upon the back of the beast. That's what's going on. John 2.21-22 says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, because you have known it, that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. So on your study guide, with this knowledge of God and that he is light, righteousness, and love, this is to be the nature and quality of our walk with him. If we desire to know the joy of fellowship with the Father and the Son. He is the certainty, not political ideology. He is the certainty that we can be assured of in this life and not the uncertainty of the immoral Gnosticism that is so prevalent, not only in secular society, but within uh, religious uh, circles as well. So on your study guide, as we learn to walk, and it is a learning process in the light of the character of God, then the more joy-filled will our fellowship with God become, and the greater will be our reward. And the last is, as we learn to abide in Him, we experience what it means to walk in the light. So I've spent a lot of time about light and darkness. And And there's a reason for that. Because there is so much darkness out there that's passing off as light that it actually affects your and I fellowship with God. And that's what we're getting ready to look at in in verses 6 through 10. We've got to be honest with ourselves and recognize that darkness that's there within ourselves so that we can allow God's light to purge us from that darkness so that we can know the fellowship that is ours to have. Does that make sense? That's why I've been hammering on this for so long. Because it's out there, it's so subtle, it's so spiritually sounding, but it's not biblical. It's a threat to us. We're not a threat to it. Or we should be, but we're not. Does that make sense? Kind of muddled up. All right, let's go ahead and close out in prayer so we can get on with our service.